Are you in a state of recovery? Do you want more clarity and direction? Have you built your foundation and wonder what lies beyond recovery? Do you want to discover what you are truly capable of? And are you ready to discover your purpose, learn to overcome your limiting beliefs, and change your mindset? Are you ready to discover the key to living a purpose-driven life? When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost, but our journey doesn't have to stop there. This is the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. After overcoming my own 20-year battle of addiction to drugs and alcohol, I have now dedicated my life to empowering those in recovery to rewire their brain so they can change their story and enhance their recovery even further. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. My name is Tamar and I'm your host for this adventure and what an adventure it's been. I am incredibly grateful for being able to put together and host the first annual Rise Beyond Recovery virtual summit. This has been a dream of mine for the last couple of years and I was told very recently by a friend that you know you've had this on your heart for a while it's time to put it into motion and so I reached out to some friends and managed to pull together almost 30 speakers. I think we're actually at 30 now. 30 speakers that are you know primarily entrepreneurs in recovery and they're going to be sharing their story on how they overcame addiction, how they found and really built that solid foundation in recovery and how they found their purpose, right? And created a life that's so good that they never want to go back to their old way of living. And I'm grateful for that because as I get all the, you know, social media artwork, all the back end done so that you guys can have this amazing experience and just be inspired to create an incredible life beyond recovery. It just, it fills my heart. You know, it fills my cup every time I talk or have a conversation with one of these speakers. It's just, it lights me up, right? It, it reminds me of why I do what I do because in early recovery, I was taught that if I help other people, it would actually strengthen my own recovery and my sobriety. And it did. I always thought that was a little ass backwards. But, you know, now that I've actually had some time practicing that, right, and, and being other people centered, I realize that that enhances my own life and my own recovery. And so that's what I'm grateful for today. And if you haven't had a chance to uh, be a part of the Facebook group where the event will be hosted, which is absolutely free. Make sure you check out the website. There's an area, you'll get a link, you can join. But if you want to be a part of the VIP lounge experience where you'll have access to all the speaker interviews for a lifetime, you'll also get a bonus gift from each of them. There will be ways that you can connect with them and really just tools to enhance your own recovery. It's only 25 dollars 25 bucks to get your VIP pass and the best part about that is that $15 out of every ticket sold is going to be donated to the nonprofit organization that I'm a part of called Touched by Addiction. 
Now, another thing, I am getting Bowden, um, the founder of Touched by Addiction. Him and I are going to be doing a kind of pre-summit kickoff on the Sunday evening before. So April 3rd, 5 p.m., you can catch us in the Facebook group. And so I'm going to be interviewing Bowden and we're going to be talking about his story how he built his foundation in recovery and how he started Touched by Addiction. So don't forget, if you want a VIP pass, it's only 25 bucks. 15 of that goes to getting someone off the streets and into long-term treatment. You can also head on over to their website, which is www.touchedbyaddiction.com. Find out uh, other ways that you can support that movement. So if you want to get your ticket for the summit, visit www.risebeyondrecovery.ca. Like I said, the event is free to attend or you can help support this cause and pay the $25 for the VI pass and get all sorts of amazing things that will help you to achieve long-term recovery and enhance your life and your recovery. So today on the show, we're going to be switching it up a little bit. Uh, we're talking to my friend Aliquity from Traveling Gluten Free. Um, Aliquity is amazing. Um, I met her through, I believe it was my podcast coach, Adam Shibley. I meet so many people through Adam, um, just an amazing coach. And if you're someone who is thinking about getting into podcasting, I definitely, definitely you need to connect with him because um, I've met all sorts of amazing people through um, some of the stuff that he does to help us podcasters grow. But um, on the show today, she shares her story about how she overcame, you know, childhood abuse, overcame that adversity to be inspired to do what she did today. We talk about health and recovery, also how addiction comes in many different forms. And where we're going a little different here is we're going to talk about travel and food. And, you know, as you know, this podcast actually started off the road to health and where I talked about my journey to learning how to reclaim control over my health. And so I didn't succumb to the temptations on the road when it came to eating the foods that didn't really fill me up. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure you get a pen and paper, take lots of notes and uh, yeah, enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. I am super excited today because I'm hanging out with my friend, Aliquity. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well, Tamar. How are you? I am doing fantastic and so grateful you're here. We were just talking that we should have recorded what we were talking about because I was asking you some tips about gluten and stuff that I want to do moving forward for my health, but we can get into that in the show. So first, why don't you introduce yourself for those of my listeners who don't know you and kind of share a bit about what you do today? Yeah. So my name is Liquidy and I, um, so what I do today, I'll do, I'll start there first is I am, I'm a full-time writer and I'm content creator and I help people with like podcast production, podcast content, ghostwriting, book editing, um, and website content and a couple other things. So that's what I do for my main gig. But my fun gig I do is travel going through podcasts, which is, this is a t-shirt. Ta-da! <laughs> and um, I found out seven years ago I had celiac disease and um, loved to travel. And I was doing a road trip, the, doing the Pacific Coast Highway road trip. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that is the, there's a huge stretch of 101 that goes all the way from Southern California to Washington State, the northwestern part of Washington State. And I drove that entire thing over three weeks. Um, that was really awesome. Great road trip. 
but I quickly discovered like the second or third stop in California, how hard it was to eat gluten free, because um, if you're not familiar with celiac disease or autoimmune disease, um, if you are celiac and you eat gluten, you're sick from like anywhere from three to like 10 days. And it's a cross between the food, food poisoning and the flu. So it is definitely can put a whole kibosh on your entire vacation. And I was looking around for resources and nobody put out like any, like, this is how you find a restaurant. It was more like, here's 50 restaurants in Chicago, but I wasn't going to Chicago. So that doesn't help me. So that's when I decided to put on my platform, Travel Gluten Free Podcast, and all of the content on it is from my own experience. I don't like go out and do research and pull it in. It's all from my own experience. And so um, I teach people like what to do, how to pack, like all of the process things, like to teach people how to fish kind of thing. And so um, I like doing that because it helps other people in the community. And it's more about not just the education, but the freedom. So this is like a perfect example. Three weeks ago, I went to my first um, in real life person, um, gluten-free consumer facing conference in like two years and met a, a salt re-met a couple that had been by to my booth pre COVID. And they said that they were really scared to travel, but that, um, they had been listening to my podcast and with the information on my podcast and, and they said, and then they were inspired by me. They took their first, um, vacation in three years, like four months ago. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like, yes, it works. <laughs> That's amazing. And we'll put all the links uh, for the show for sure. And I can't wait to learn more from you and read your book and everything. But, you know, before we get into the the fun stuff, I mean, I believe we all go through our own journey, right? A lot of us has overcome adversity, trauma in our lives that have led us to where we are today. And we can either stay stuck in that or we can, you know, learn and move forward. And you too have overcome a lot. And you've actually been working with a mutual friend of ours, Scott Clover, which we can yes. get into after. But, you know, why don't you uh, share your story of overcoming uh, childhood trauma? Yeah. So it started at around age two. I mean, it may have started before that, but that's the first memory I had. And um, all the abuse uh, with me growing up came from my mother. But um, and I, so... Okay. Yeah. So let me, let me start there. So at age two, she was like physically abusing me. So like hitting me, not just like spankings, but like holding me by one arm and just hitting me wherever. And then, um, when I was five, she started sexually abusing me and I'm the only person I know that it was the mother of like, so it's normally like the father. And so it was my mother and she was sexually abusing me. And my dad had worked a third shift nighttime job. So he was never at home at night. And so um, and then in middle school between ages or in grade school. So I went to the same grade school from first to eighth grade between fourth grade and seventh grade. I was bullied. And then when I was 18, um, I was raped by my ex-boyfriend. So I've had, I, I was actually thinking about it a few days ago out of the first 18 years of my life. I think like the first two were the only ones I didn't have some type of trauma happen to me. And so I didn't realize how much it had affected me until three years ago when um, I I didn't, I didn't like, I had, you probably have heard about this before, but sometimes when you're traumatized, your brain suppresses it so much, you don't remember it. So like growing up, I never remembered that my mom sexually abused me, except that she always acted weird around me, like doing weird things. Like she would walk by me and put like her hand on my butt and things like, like weird stuff. And so I was never like, I always tried to avoid my mom. Like I knew she wasn't a good mother. Um, if she wasn't abusing me, she was neglecting me. It was kind of like, she come home from work. And then she would just literally sit and watch TV for eight hours, like not help me with homework, anything like that. So it was really, so growing up, 
I didn't know, like I missed out a lot on like how to connect with people. And I always connected better with men than women because when I was 11, my dad got an anti car. And so we would work on anti cars together. And of course it was all his buddies. And so I actually had an easier time getting along with men than women because of how I was brought up. And so um, when three or four years ago, when all my uh, sexual trauma memories came rushing back, that's when I realized like what had happened to me. And then that's when I started um, really, well, I always was working on things, but I didn't realize like to the extent of like how everything was affecting me and how deeply it had hurt me until three or four years ago when all the memories started coming back. And then I could really focus on like working on those things because I always knew there was something else to work on. Like I just couldn't, I just didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to work on it. And so, um, and it's been really hard. Like, so when they first came back, it was like night terrors, which are different from nightmares. So I'm sure you know that. Yes. And so if you're listening and you're not, you don't know the difference between a night terror and a nightmare, a nightmare is like a scary dream as most people have probably had a nightmare, but a night terror is you're actually reliving the emotional trauma of your, of what happened to you. So even though, and so my, how my psychologist tells me is it's like, it might not be, all the details might not be correct, but what happened to you and what you're feeling is the same. And so you're literally like re-experiencing your trauma, which is really scary and is literally like paralyzing. So when I first found out like all this stuff had happened to me, I would have like, um, um, I call them emotional seizures because they were, they were just literally like, I would get emotionally overwhelmed and I wouldn't be able to do anything. I would sit and shake for anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. And so all my husband could do was just sit there with me and wait for me to come out of it. Because once I got that into that way, like there was nothing really anybody can do until it just went away and subsided. So that was really hard. Um, the other thing that was really hard is that I had a lot of different defense mechanisms. And so how our friend Scott Clover talks about the defense mechanisms is he says like, um, they're like a parachute when you're a little kid and it's, and they're very useful when you're little to use those defense mechanisms. But then as you're adult, your feet hit the ground and then you have this parachute on you and it keeps pulling you and pulling you and pulling you. So as a kid, those defense mechanisms are good because they keep you safe. But as an adult, they're not good because then it prevents you from functioning at like any type of a normal level, let alone a high functioning level. And so, um, I had a, I was first working with a psychologist to go through and work out a lot of the like major things. And he was really, really helpful. And, my, um, and so, um, and I, I would definitely recommend if you have trauma to go to a psychologist instead of a counselor, because I've been to both, um, not a psychiatrist, because they like to prescribe stuff and I'm not a big like, I like pharmaceutical drug person, but um, a psychologist, they just have more experience and they have more knowledge about what's going on with you. So if you're somebody who's been through trauma, I found for me, the psychologist has worked better than a regular counselor because they really understand the whole like mechanics of it basically and can really help you more. Um, and so anyway, I started working with my psychologist and then I met Scott and then I started working with Scott and that was like, a whole nother level of getting better. So I was getting better with my psychologist, but once I started working with Scott, um, he describes his work as like, you know, you have all this emotional garbage, but like, so you walk into your emotional garbage house and it's like all over the place, but you don't know where to start. And so Scott is the person who like, okay, this is what you need to work on. Like he says, he says it's similar to going to a library and he can show you what book on the shelf you need. And that's exactly how Scott works. And so ever since I've been working with Scott for the past year and a half, I have made like huge leaps and bounds in my recovery. And um, 
have been able to take out and remove things that I didn't even know were blocking me. And that's really the best thing about working with Scott is that he sees things in you that you don't see or you like, because a lot of these defense mechanisms like to hide themselves because they don't like to show themselves. And your brain does not like to change, even though it's a negative habit, your brain likes to stay in that same pattern. So it's very, very hard to like go in there, figure it out on your own and then find it on your own and then take care of it on your own. So Scott is really helped. Like you have to still do the work, but Scott is such an amazing facilitator to go in and be like, this is what, like, this is what we're going to work on today. And then if I have something I want to work on, I can always tell him like, Hey, I have this, like, I'm picturing this. Can we work on this? And so, but he's such a great facilitator to help you like see what it is and help guide you through working to get whatever that negative thing that the negative thing is, whether it's a defense mechanism or an emotion that keeps you in a bad pattern to like, just help you move, like take that out. So you don't have to live with that on a daily basis. And my anxiety has gone down. I'm, I'm sleeping better. I'm not sleeping like great yet, but I'm definitely sleeping better. But it's, it's the whole thing of having a process, right? It's like, you have this thing, you're taking care of it, and then you have to move on to the next letter, layer, peel that off and then take care of that. And, and sometimes it's exhausting and I need to take a break because anything you work through emotional stuff, it's just like, oh my gosh, I just like want to go lay down like on a warm beach and sleep for five, five hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same way. And it's, it's interesting because I was working with Scott just the other day and we were talking about the food part of things. And, you know, I said, things are going really well. I'm removing these emotional blockages I had from relationships and I'm working on codependency and everything, which has been such a gift. But then there was still that health aspect, right? That's something I share very openly on the podcast about. It's something I've struggled with because I've been an extreme yo-yo dieter since the age of like 18, right? Because I always thought that if I look better on the outside, then it's going to naturally heal how I feel on the inside. And now that I've had a lot of that healing, I've been able to identify certain you know, areas that I need to tweak and what I eat obviously is one of them. And we were talking about the whole gluten aspect, but he actually, you know, when we, we sat down and we were talking, he said, you know, there, your intestines are really angry right now. It's like a dog growling. And we had a good little, I, I had a good little laugh about it, but then he also said, there's a history in your family of like that negativity and that, that, you know, being overweight and, and stuff like that. And I, I, he goes, what side of the family is it? And I said, it's my mom's side, right? And my mom has literally told me growing up, you know, our family always had big hips. That's just how you're going to be. And so it was in my subconscious mind, right? Whether I realized it or not, that negativity and that was passed down from her mother, you know, my mother's not as bad, but I can feel that connection and that change start to develop again, where I'm like, well, maybe I'm not meant to lose weight because my family has big hips. And I just found that really, just really cool how I didn't have to say anything to him and he could see that chain. He's like, you need to break that chain. So yeah, the, I, the, the work that I'm doing with Scott has been incredible too. So, you know, how out of everything you'd been through discovering your calling in life and your purpose, you know, how did that kind of evolve? I'd say your recovery journey, essentially. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I was always, I'm always like a believer in like educating myself on whatever it is I need to know. And so, um, I think for me, it was more of like, like I knew I had, I had the choice of like, of either like, taking myself to the next level and getting rid of it and being better for myself. Because if I'm, if I'm more quote unquote, emotionally stable, um, I, I don't like to use that word. 
because sometimes like it's not about being it's not about being stoic it's not about not having emotions but it's about like being aware of where your emotions are coming from and like knowing that like, you have a choice on how to react on that you don't have to react where you used to be and i think that was a really big um wake up call for me is like i'd always just react and not think about it and so now I'm like, oh, why am I feeling that? Like, I'm asking myself, like, why am I feeling that? Is that me? Or is that really because the other person that's on the other side is being an A, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> so, but I always, I used to just react. Now I take a step back and be like, okay, let me take a look at this. Who, like, where's this coming from? And that's been really helpful to me. Another thing I realized is that when I used to like, look at myself and be like, oh, I'm fat or I'm whatever. And then I realized that like, I'm putting that on me. That's not someone else telling me I'm fat or I'm whatever. Like I need to let that go because if I don't let that go, then it's, then I can't get healthy because I'm not thinking healthy. And then another thing Scott and I were working with is because of the sexual abuse, like consciously, you know, you're safe, right? But subconsciously you've got that programming going on that you're not safe. And so that was, I believe another factor with me holding on to the weight because right after I did a session with Scott about feeling safe inside my body and letting go like that, that along with the diet that I was on really helped me to lose excess weight as well. And it wasn't like, it was about weight loss because I was starting to get too heavy, but it was more of like, it was more of like knowing that I could, I can still like not control my body, but I still have enough control over my diet and my, like the way I think to change how I feel and how I look. And so and it's not, and how I look isn't always about like, hey, can I fit into this? But how I look as far as like, hey, do I look like a happy person? Do I, do, like, is my, is, is my, you know, do I look like I am coming off as like a friendly, warm person? Like that kind of thing, just like your whole energy, how you look, not just like physically how you look. And I think that was another thing along my journey that I learned as well. Um, and, and just having like a really good supportive person with you is super helpful because my husband is, has been like amazing through all of this. Like I can't like, he's just like shout out to my, to Jeff. So <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. And we need that support. And I believe that, you know, when we go through all these things, we build that resilience, right. And we learn how to get stronger and stronger as a result. Now, I mean, I have faced many roadblocks throughout my journey in addiction and in recovery, of course. And sometimes it's difficult, right? Those roadblocks in our, are in our path. And it's easy for people just to go, okay, maybe this is not meant to be. I'm going to turn around and go back. Now, you talk about, you know, how we can let go of our roadblocks without fear. And can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I think roadblocks are a big part of my story and something that I've learned to overcome and move through them. But I know that you like to talk about that as well. Yeah. So actually, I, I um, besides writing podcast show notes, so I write podcast show notes for over 400 episodes of different podcasts every year. And in addition to that, I listen to podcasts. So you could say I'm a podcast addict. And I can't remember who it was, but on one of the episodes, um, I can't remember if I was writing show notes or I was just listening to it for leisure. But somebody got on and said, what is on the other side of fear? And the person that they're interviewing, they're like, I don't know what. They're like, nothing. Nothing's on the other side of fear. We make up in our head what is on the other side. And because we make that up, we scare ourselves into believing ourselves that we can't get on the other side when we're, when we're totally capable of getting on the other side. And so we really, like, literally mentally hijack ourselves to believe that because of this fear that we believe that isn't even real, 
like we make it real, right? It's real to us because we make it real, but it really isn't real because it's not there, but we make that. And so since we make that real, it's real to us. And then we don't do whatever it is that scares us. But if you look at it, like I start looking at it, things like if I do this, what's going to happen, right? And most of the time, like 99.9% .9 of the time, nothing horrible happens when you do whatever that thing is. But we have so convinced ourselves that it is going to be horrible, that that's what we believe. But we have to like, one of the big things for me is like stepping back and taking a look at myself and thinking, okay, like what am I going to choose to believe? And that's one of the most important things that I have learned, like, is what am I going to choose to believe? Am I going to choose to believe what I've made up for myself in my head? Or am I going to choose to believe something different? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, that's one of the areas that I teach. And one of the programs I facilitate is on beliefs, right? And I, one of my mentors told me, Tamar, you know, somebody can have the same goal and do like two people can do the exact same things. And it's the person that believes in their ability to accomplish that, that will always win, right? They're always going to be the one. And so I remember that. And, you know, it was funny. I know you, you, you know, work with small business owners too. And, and time management is something that I love to talk about because it's something that when I became an entrepreneur, right, I faced these roadblocks. I was scared, you know, I didn't, I, I had been living from 3.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday to Sunday, realistically, like it was an everyday thing. And I, I believe that addiction also comes in many forms, right? And I became addicted to entrepreneurship. I loved what I did so much. I did too much of it. So when I became a full-time entrepreneur, one of my roadblocks was time management. And I thought I was excellent at time management before that, but I was excellent at getting a, a large amount of stuff done in a small amount of time. So I had to learn how to condense the time I was giving to things. But I know that's one of the areas that you like to discuss as well is, you know, time management for small business owners. Cause I know there's people that listen to the show that thinking about getting a side hustle they're thinking about starting a business and i i kind of like to prep them for that kind of stuff because then they can learn from the mistakes that we've made so can you talk about that a little bit yeah so one of the things one of the biggest things that eats people's time which you probably know and have heard of is social media and tv like yeah i my daughter does binge watching on netflix i don't know how she like i'm not a big tv person anyway and mainly the only reason why i'm on social media is just for like business purposes although i do have personal accounts but i don't get on my personal stuff that much, but really what you need to ask yourself, like the key question to ask yourself when you're an entrepreneur is like, what is more important is watching this movie more important or is like, you know, doing an hour of work for my side hustle more important. And you know what, the movie's going to be there later. You can always do it like at another time. Um, and so that's what I always look at. Like what, what is the most important thing I need to do next? It might like, so, um, and one of the things I do is I keep, a, um, this is my work journal and it's just a notebook. Like, they have all sorts of fancy, like you can get um, all sorts of fancy things, but like, this is my work journal. So this is what I was supposed to do on Friday, but because I was sick on, well, actually I wasn't sick. I had a PTSD event <laughs> Thursday night, which means my Friday was wiped out. So I only didn't get anything done on my Friday schedule, but this is really great because on the one side I have like what my actual meetings and the other side, I have the list of things, checklist of things I need to get done and I'll put it out three days ahead. So I'm like, okay, this thing, like, I would like to get it done today, but if I don't, that's okay. I'll just cross it off and put it on another day. So you just really need to look at like, what, like really prioritizing is super important. And then asking yourself, like, what is the thing I really need to get done today in order to move myself forward that one little baby step. And when 
you have a side hustle and you have a main job, which I've done a lot. It's really hard because you get, especially when you have kids, you get really tired at the end of the day, but sometimes the best time to work on your stuff is after your kids go to bed, because then you don't, you don't have to worry about like the, you know, your kids interrupt you and all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and it is, it can be exhausting. Right. And I think though it's our, you know, when I discovered my purpose and I realized that this was something I wanted to do, it motivated me to do it. But at some point I knew that I had to start managing my time better. And when I took out that day job, that helped a lot, but it's something that I do the same thing. Like I have a list, I plan out my week on Sunday usually, and I know exactly what it is I'm going to do. I do the important things first and everything starts to roll into the next day. So one more thing that I do want to ask you before we get into the food stuff, because I think that a lot of people in recovery turn to health right away. They actually swap one addiction for another. And I know that in my journey, I've learned how to do intuitive eating now, right? Because I don't want to treat it like another addiction, like another mm. diet that I'm restricting myself completely. But one more business thing before we go into it, because I want to, you know, get as much out of it as we can, but you know, repurposing content. That's something as an entrepreneur now that I'm learning to finally do. But can you talk about, you know, some of the ways that we can do that? Yeah. So one of the easiest ways you can actually repurpose content, I suggested this to my, um, my clients, is that um, a lot of people say like, oh, I have a hard time writing or whatever. Um, what I suggest people to do if you're doing like doing your own content is just to sit down, make up a list of topics you want to talk about for like a blog. And then, and I tell people, you don't have to post every week, but you do have to post consistently. So if it's every three weeks, make sure you post a blog every three weeks. If it's every two weeks, that's fine. If it's every month, that's fine too, but you want to have some type of consistent um, top like blog topics. So once you have your like eight, six to eight blog topics that you want to talk about, what I recommend to people, because a lot of people don't like sitting down and actually writing it is just to take your phone or a recorder and just audio record your voice. And if you record it for five minutes, make sure you have like a bulleted outline. You don't have to have it all written out, but just like bullet points you want to talk about. After you talk for five minutes, then that's about 500 words. So you can take that audio and then put it in a transcriber such as like Rev or um, uh, another one I've been using recently is called Descript. It's D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T. It's a really good one. And um, what that does, you want to do the automated one. Don't do the expensive one that's like the person fixes it. You don't need that. Just do the automated one. And then you take that and you can pull it down as a Word doc or whatever. And then you can edit that and make that into a blog. And then you can take that content and put that in littler pieces on your social media. So it's a really great way to repurpose your content. If you, because a lot of us don't have a lot of time, but we know we need to put content out there to get seen on the internet. So that's a really great way to do it because you're using your blog post for your social. And then you can also use your blog post in your newsletters to say like, hey, check out this new blog post I have. And then just put the first paragraph of it in your newsletter. And then there's a newsletter for you. And then what I also tell people is to do like themed months. So I usually do two months at a time. So right now my marketing um, plan is focused on ghostwriting for um, November and December. I love that. I'm taking lots of notes as you're talking about that. Cause one of the things I want to get into is more of the theme months because the program that I teach goes over all these different areas of mind science. And I want to stay focused every month on one topic that I can talk about, that I can share my social media content. I've started writing again, which I absolutely love. And so 
thank you for that. I thought we'd get that in there before, you know, we get yeah. into the fun food stuff. Well, one, uh, other, one other quick thing too, is that a lot of people don't know when you record video on like Zoom or StreamYard or a lot of these platforms, you can rip the audio off separately. And so that's another way you can repurpose your content is by taking your audio from your video and using that in your, in your content as well. I love it. I wish I had started doing that sooner because now it's like, wait a minute, I have so much more that I can draw from. And, you know, eventually what I'd love to do is actually write a book and use some of the podcast episodes, you know, reach out to people, ask if they want to be a part of it. And, you know, almost like a purpose book, like you want to discover your purpose. Here's all these amazing people that are doing amazing things kind of. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. I think that's in yeah. absolutely incredible. Now, I always say that's actually what I did with my book, this one, The Guide to Traveling Gluten-Free. So I took my podcast content and I put it into here. And I'm actually doing a workshop on that um, on my friend Ken Saunders platform, The Daily Writers Community. So if you're a writer, definitely jump on The Daily Writers Community because it's a really great community. It's Kent Saunders. Um, and I think we're probably related because my grandmother's name was Saunders. So but we haven't figured that out yet in our family trees, but I'm sure they cross somewhere. But anyway, I'm actually doing a workshop and the Daily Writer with Ken Saunders on November 4th. And it's going to be called, um, like, you know, how to turn your current content into a book. So with blog posts, video or podcast. Oh, I'm going to have to enroll in that. So on that note, let's talk about your podcast, the book that you've written, right? What's inspired you to do all that? I know that you shared your story of traveling and needing to find more gluten-free, but I think that a lot of people don't realize that there's certain foods in their diet that can affect them. You know, I'm noticing that now. I noticed the other night I ate some, uh, I ate some noodles and I started to feel itchy. And, and that was probably what Scott was talking about. Like your guts are just angry right now. So can you get into that a bit? Cause I think that's the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with, so I have celiac disease and with celiac disease, it's, it's not actually technically an allergy. It's an autoimmune condition. So, so if I eat anything with gluten, my body attacks my small intestine. And, um, I actually, my dad, he was never diagnosed with celiac disease, but he was definitely, he was textbook celiac. Um, he actually passed away from adenocarcinoma, which is small intestinal cancer, which is the cancer you get if you have celiac disease and you don't change your diet and you literally starve to death over a period of time. So when he found out he had it, he had stage four and um, they gave him six months to live. He lived for three years, but he literally like went at the end, he was five foot 10 and like 75 pounds. So he like literally looked like he walked out of a German concentration camp. It was just, he was just skin and bones. And so I always tell people who are celiac disease, please do not cheat. Cause I know what happens when you cheat. And it's, I can guarantee you it is not the way to go. But um, just with food in general, like with finding out what you can and can't eat, one of the problems we have living in America is that our food is so processed and we put so many chemicals on it and all this other stuff. And people are like, oh, well, your body can adapt to that. Well, no, your body really can't because we did not, like for the past however millions of years we've been developing or evolving, we have not had those chemicals in our system and those are foreign to us and they cause inflammation. And I heard a statistic um, a couple of weeks ago that 60% of Americans are going to die of some inflammatory disease. Like it is heart disease, like whatever, like cancer, because cancer is an inflammatory disease. And so all with autoimmune and with anything really, if you're eating food and putting food in your diet, in your body, that's causing inflammation that actually builds up over time. It's not like, oh, I have a stomach ache and it goes away today. It can actually cause damage for weeks. And so if you cheat on a cheat on a weekly basis, that means you're like, you're making your level of inflammation go up, 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 higher, higher, higher. And then eventually you're going to get something you can't come back from like adenocarcinoma. If you 
continually do that to your body because it might only feel like a little bit, but every little bit that damages causes scar tissue and inflammation. And the more scar tissue and inflammation you have in your body, the less efficiently it's going to work. And then your just overall health is going to feel really bad. And it's amazing. Like when you find out what does bother you. So I knew gluten was one of them for me, but then when I went on, I had found that I had SIBO, which is a small intestinal, um, infection you can get from celiac disease. And a lot of people who have celiac have SIBO. So I went on the SIBO diet, which is like no starch, no sugar. And when I went on that diet, not only did I lose weight, but oh my gosh, I felt so much better because even though I was being gluten-free, there was other things in my diet. Like I knew corn was one of them, but also like white rice, which you would not think being, you know, it's, there's no gluten in it, but it's the starch. And so um, the corn is also the starch. Um, and then I found out like there's other things I can't eat, like artichoke, apples bother me, especially green apples, like just really bizarre, like things you would never think what you would be allergic to or intolerant to. So I've got like uh, a sweet potatoes was another one and I love sweet potatoes. And so I had to cut those out of my diet, um, but white potatoes are okay. So it's really weird on like how the different things you can and can't eat and everybody's different. So like I might, I might be not okay with sweet potatoes, but most people are. And so it just all depends. Like don't base what you need off of what somebody else needs, because um, even though like, I know I'm celiac and I know I can't eat gluten. Um, there are also other things that I stay away from because I know when I eat them, I'm going to feel horrible. And I try to keep my horrible days down to a minimum. <laughs> Because the other thing that happens too is like when, like the PTSD, when that gets really bad, like the other day, that triggers my autoimmune because stress triggers your autoimmune. And then I feel horrible. And then because I feel horrible, I'm more likely to have an, a PTSD episode because I'm stressed and tired. So they feed off each other. So like, I'm really diligent with my diet because I'm like, okay, if I can't control the PTSD episodes, at least I can control my darn diet. <laughs> that is true. And you literally took things out and then started slowly reintroducing them, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the elimination diet. And, and it is like when you first start doing it, especially with sugar, I always like the first two weeks are the hardest, no matter what, like just know the first two weeks are going to be hard. But when you do the elimination diet and you start putting things back in your diet, like one at a time, you really figure out what is negatively affecting you. And if you can just take that out of your diet, then you're going to feel so much better. Your inflammation is going to go down. Like my joint pain went, went, like went down. Like there's a lot of things that got better when I went on the sugar-free starch-free diet. And then I slowly started. So now I'm eating some sugar, but now I'm at the point where like, I know how much grains and sugar I can eat. Like I know my limit. So I just stop there most of the time. <laughs> I'm not perfect. <laughs> No, I don't think any of us are. And we right? need a little bit of that imperfection, I think, to remind us yes. of what happens when we tend to stray. So can you talk about your book and podcast and where people can find that, listen to it, read yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And right, really, really, because before I tell people about the book, um, one of the things I learned is that when I have those imperfect moments, I, I, I used to beat myself up really bad and feel guilty. And I'm like, no, I, that's okay. You know what? The today was not a good day. Tomorrow is going to be a better day. Tomorrow I'm going to make a better choice. And so it's okay to have a bad day and make a bad choice. Just don't beat yourself up over it because it just makes you feel worse and keeps you in that cycle. Okay. So if you guys want to find me, um, you can find me at Travel Gluten Free Podcast on any of your favorite podcast players. You can also find me at travelglutenfreepodcast.com. And um, go on there. If you have any questions about being gluten-free, please hit me up on my contact form. I also have on my website, if you click on book, you can find the guide to traveling gluten-free. And um, in here, you can learn how to like get through the airport with food, like 
how the, you know, how to pack your bags when you have food in your check-on bag, how to cruise gluten-free boat. I talk about not boating, camping, road tripping, um, all that fun stuff in here. And also how to find gluten-free restaurants and um, what parts of the world are better for gluten-free that I've been to and what parts of the world are not that great for gluten-free. Oh, that's exciting. So can you give us one tip of what parts of the world are better? Yes. Yes. So actually I was talking about this the other day um, when I was doing a presentation on um, nomadic, the nomadic night travel network. Um, if you want to go like, one of the, actually there's a really great place in Canada, Victoria on the other side. So Victoria, Canada, if you are gluten-free, that is a heaven, a heaven of gluten-free food. It's like having it's almost like riding like magical sparkling unicorns from restaurant to restaurant. Cause I literally ate fried food every night that was safe because when you're celiac, you can't eat food that's been fried in a fryer with any type of gluten. And that makes, that actually makes me the sickest because even though there's no gluten on the food that hot and heat does not break down gluten, heat makes it actually stick more. And so that's the worst thing to eat is anything that's fried with gluten in it. But I had like fish and chips. I went to a, gluten-free tea time. I went, oh, it was amazing. So Victoria is amazing. Um, many cities in California are also amazing because a lot, a lot of California is just so progressive with food anyway. And um, a lot of times, a lot of restaurants that do gluten-free also do good vegetarian and good vegan food as well. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, what else? Let me think. Um, Chicago is in, in the U.S. is really good for gluten-free. Um, Washington, D.C., New York, New York is really good. Um, Austin, Texas is amazing for gluten-free. Um, Portland, where I'm going to be moving soon, is really good for gluten-free, which I'm super excited about. Um, so yeah, there's and then there's like these gems, like when I go to Scottsdale, Arizona, Scottsdale and Sedona, Arizona, have this um, Italian place that's called Picasso's and everything is gluten-free. And then they have, but they do have regular pizza. So if you want to get regular pizza, you can. But it's great because you can get like ravioli is gluten-free, tiramisu, gluten-free, Focaccia bread, I actually still have some down in my refrigerator because I bought a whole loaf back with me. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So yeah, and so those are some of the places I always recommend to people. And anything Disney. Disney does amazing food allergies, period. Like Disney cruises are more expensive, but they do really good food allergy stuff and Disney World and Disneyland. So if you eat at any of the restaurants inside Disney, they do an awesome job of gluten-free. So it is a magical place. It is. A, it's a magical food place for sure. I actually, I tell people like I'm a Disney fan by default because I was never a Disney fan, but I was a Star Wars fan as a kid. And I remember being five years old, watching the original Star Wars and walking out of the movie theater and telling my parents I wanted to be an X-Wing fighter when I grow up. Like that's, that's how much I love like Disney and like Star Wars. And so I'm a Star Wars, I'm a Disney fan by default just because they bought Star Wars. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's so awesome. But thank you so much for being on the show. I know we probably could have gone on for at least another hour. Um, so we may have to have you on again and we'll dive a little bit deeper into the gluten-free lifestyle. But thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on today, Tamar. And I'd be glad to come back for another visit. This was fun. Well, I hope you got some good tips and strategies on travel and health. And remember, there will be links in the show notes, how you can connect with Aliquity um, if you want to learn more. And don't forget, if you haven't already, come join us at the first annual Rise Beyond Recovery Virtual Summit. This summit is free to attend. 
or you can pay the $25 for the VIP pass, which will give you access, lifetime access to the speaker interviews. Also some gifts that each of our speakers are donating, probably about over $4,000 worth of gifts in there. So come check it out. You can head on over to the website, www.risebeyondrecovery.ca. And I will see you on the next episode. I have had the privilege to walk alongside of many people who have built their foundation and further enhanced their recovery. But unfortunately, there are still so many people who are still suffering that need our help. The Road Beyond Recovery podcast is a proud sponsor of Touched by Addiction. Addiction thrives in isolation and darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. So if you or someone you know has been affected by addiction, there is help. At Touched by Addiction, we are dedicated to exposing addiction and ending the plague. Be that beacon of hope and light that so many desperately need. Each t-shirt or sweater you buy helps to get a struggling addict off the streets and into a year-long addiction treatment program. If you want to support the movement, go to www.touchedbyaddiction.com.